and welcome to Sports Maneuver Radio. Who's ready for Lisa Nucci? I'm Nucci. And EJ, the Raider. We are now live in three, two, one. All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the new season here on Sports Palooza Radio. We have a great show lined up today as we come to you from the Hudson Valley here in New York. And, of course, I am EJ, the Rainmaker. And you know who's coming with me in the studio today. The lovely Lisa is hanging out with me. Oh, baby, here we go. Can you believe it's our fourth year of doing this Sports Palooza stuff? How many great guests and all the stuff that we've had going on here. What a great show we have lined up today, too. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. We've had all these great guests, oh. and we kicked it off big time this uh, season as well, too. And in case you don't know, um, you know, our guests today include none other than, well, he's kind of that one-name superstar, although he's got other names. Everybody in the WWE <laughs> knows him as Edge, Yeah. but we also know him as Adam Copeland, yeah. who has really created a nice little name for himself outside the WWE, and yeah. he's here to talk to us about his newest role in Interrogation, the newest movie that he's in with Lana, um, and who's actually also known as CJ in the real world. And um, he's here to talk to us about what he had going on with the movie and, you know, kind of how the role all came about in his life. And then we also have Kevin Kelly. Oh, man. And, um, here we go. More, yeah. books, more books and more books here on Sports Palooza Radio. I mean, this is what we do. <laughs> and, okay, before we even get to that, yeah. just so you guys know, we have a list of authors oh. coming up with some of the yeah. coolest books that I've had to come across my desk yeah. in a long time. Well, this could be a great season. <laughs> it is. And Kevin's kicking it off. And, and over the next couple of weeks, we, we have – oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. The yeah. stack of books on my yeah. end table is crazy. Um, but Kevin kicks it off with both sides of the line. My coach, the Boston mob enforcer, my mentor, <laughs> the murderer, the party of Clyde Dempsey, and the 1974 Don Bosco Bears. Mm-hmm. And it's a long title for a really, really awesome book. Yes. And yeah, and Kevin really isn't an author, but he took on this story because it is a very, very personal side yeah. to him, and he just couldn't walk away. Yeah. Um, so he'll be on in a little while. I, and I, I love how, how it came to be because it really, like you mentioned, it wasn't even supposed to be a book. He just got so sick of telling the story that everybody here was just like, you know what? I'm done telling the story. I'm going to write a book about it instead. Let everybody else read it so I have to keep talking about it. <laughs> so, so what's he here to do today to talk about the book? Yeah, man. <laughs> So we're going to have Kevin on in a little while, and I actually want to talk to him about, you know me with movies, yeah, oh yeah. because I, I really think that this is this would make an incredible movie. Oh, my God. Did you, you see? Know? Look at my first part of my notes. Yep. Movie. movie. All right. The movie. <laughs> there you go. Wow. Make sure that your wife is the one who writes That's it. That's right. But <laughs> so it's a great new season, mm-hmm. and we took some time off in August to kind of regroup, lay back, and relax, and enjoy the rest of the summer while mm-hmm. the kids were home. But we are... Definitely on the run now that the now that it's turned the least to September first, mm-hmm. and uh, we will be in Lambo Field. I couldn't wait to wow. mention that in in just a little bit more than a, a month. month. We're like and, five yep. weeks away from being in Lambo Field, the frozen tundra. Luckily, it won't be frozen. <laughs> Thank goodness. Hopefully, it won't Thank be goodness. frozen. If it's frozen in early October, oh my god. I'm never going to Wisconsin again. (laughs) I don't care if I have icicles hanging off the end of my nose. I I don't care. I will be excited to be there. And it's football season, not just pros, but college too. So what do you have going on? Yeah, college football. Speaking of which, uh, Eric and I, Eric Eric the Hun writes for uh, Get More Sports. And Eric, yeah, who's Eric? Uh, my, my wife is being sarcastic as sarcastic gets. Because me and Eric talk every day for hours upon hours, uh, you know, and especially when we're approaching this new podcast, we're going to be kicking off at GetMoreSports.com. Every Friday, Eric and I are going to be giving out plays. We're going to, you know, review the Thursday game a little bit. If it's a Friday action, that you can uh, you can deal with this. So, yeah, it's, we're going to have a blast doing this one. So check out for our new podcast. You can find it on my EJ the Rainmaker over at Facebook, and I'll be posting that. Name yet. Yeah, we're just going to call it the, the college football throwdown because we're going to be throwing down the action, and everybody who's smart enough to pay attention to what we have to say is going to be making some money this year because that's what we do. So, yeah, of course, uh, the college football season actually kicked off with Cal and Hawaii. That happened in Australia. What a great game that was. And uh, today there's 16 games. There's nine more on Friday. And if you're looking at your Saturday schedule, 
Holy cow, here we go. So many games. <laughs> I mean, it's just, here we go. And there's even a Sunday college football game this weekend with Texas and Notre Dame. And a Monday night football is actually college football this week with Florida State and Old Miss. So, yeah, it's going to be a crazy five-day stretch of college football. Here we go. Bring on the pigs again. I, I love it. All right, man, here we go. So, uh, yeah, of course, the Cosmos. You guys uh, can always catch our Into the Cosmos podcast here on Sports Palooza Radio. And uh, check my EJ the Rainmaker on Twitter feed for that, too, because I post all about the games and the picks and the videos. Oh, boy, Cosmos are sitting in first place in the fall portion of the campaign right now by three points and four points overall combined. Of course, a lot of people may not know that they, they divide the North American Soccer League into us 10 games in the spring and 20 games in the fall. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of different. I know a lot of people who may be wondering how the hell that works. Uh, you know, most of the other leagues, everybody follows. They just play a season. You know, they play 30, 40 games, and then uh, you know, whoever's at the end, whoever's on top at the end, that's it. But uh, MLS isn't like that. But whatever, um, World Cup flying today. Oh, my goodness. Japan lost to the United Arab Emirates. And if you took the UAE to beat Japan today, you got paid plus 17.50. That's an underdog, kids. <laughs> Holy cow. How you UAE walked into Japan and beat them 2-1 tonight? No idea. Of course, uh, South American qualifying is going on today as well. It's, it's World Cup qualifying from here. Oh, boy. And the 2018 World Cup is going to be here sooner than you'd think. So uh, all the qualifying is going on for that. Talk about a little baseball, of course. There's a month left in the baseball season, at least the regular season, and the playoffs to get underway. And my goodness, you look at these standings. And the American League is even crazier than the National League. There's like nine teams who actually still – are really in the hunt. I mean, with 30 games left and all that, so much can go on. One, one good run by a couple teams here and there, and everything can change. It's amazing look at the, looking at the American League standings because, I mean, yeah, there are from Boston all the way back to Kansas City, you're talking about, what, two, four, six, eight teams are in the hunt for the wild card. I mean, it's here we go. <laughs> That's the American League. National League, ah, boy, the Cubs look fantastic. Of course, your Mets and my Yankees are just outside the playoff picture right now looking in. And your Mets are as close as it gets. You the Mets are only a couple games back of uh, the wild, last wild card spot that St. Louis is holding right now. Boy, look at your Mets go. All these injuries, all these pitching things that are going on. That the team's a mess. Everybody's up Terry Collins' ass, and yet there you go. Mets are playing pretty well. They're right there. Yeah, and I think I'm the one who, and I have to be honest because I'm always honest about one of the things that I say <laughs> is that I gave up. I know you did. And I gave up four weeks ago. Because I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it, and I wasn't seeing what what they were really supposed to be doing. Yeah. And the statistics have now lied. I'm not lied, but I've I've yeah. been proven to you be got, a liar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mets have won nine of their last eleven games, yeah. and they've been 22 and 23 since the All Star break, um, which isn't great. Yeah. But considering, like you just said, they're playing better, and the last few few games have just been like really been kind of fun to watch you know taking a three-game um, winning streak into tonight yeah. exactly exactly so you know they play tonight um against Miami and it's obviously every game from this point on is important and I will be watching which is weird because I also have a pre-game for the Packers so yeah. I'm gonna have to do some DVRing here yeah and you, but, and you and Miami are only two games apart in this in the standing so this uh this is a four-game yeah. series considering it's Thursday I'm, I'm gonna assume it's a four-game series huh or do we I know I think it's a three-game is it a three-game well, yeah. I mean I you, you would think it might be a four game since it's a Thursday that would be that would be even bigger if you can take four from Miami or go three and one over the I mean, I, you know, I, have, I actually didn't look. I, I don't know if it's going to be a four-game set or not. But uh, usually on Thursday when you start a series, it usually goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I really don't know if it's going to be going like that. I know you're trying to scramble and look around <laughs> trying to find out as quick as you can. But, I uh, am. Yeah. My little fingers will take yeah, me. And not. it is a um, – it's a, I believe it's – it was a three-game series. No, it was a four-game series. Mm-hmm. Look at you. Yeah. You know your stuff. I know my like stuff. you're a sports reporter. I mean, almost like I know. It was just a hunch. You know? I mean, it's just a hunch. Um, yeah, so you got a lot going on. That's, uh, that's a big thing. national. Yeah, and the Nationals yeah. next to are obviously nine games up in the in the in first place in your division. So that, oh, that's going to be a huge game. You've got three against them and the Reds. You should be able to take on the Reds because the Reds are absolutely dismal. So hopefully you can win those, some of those games. But, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll offer you some good luck, man. Uh, you know, even though I'm not a Mets fan, I, I root for the Mets just for you. So. Hopefully we'll see what happens, even though I'm a Yankee fan. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm sorry. That's all right. You haven't watched – well, I think nope. just about a week ago we yeah. had one game on. Yeah. And you have really stuck to your guns and not watched. Yeah. I, I, as long as Joe Girardi's there, 
I am not watching Yankee games anymore. I mean, I, we, you know, like you said, you put one on the other day, and I was like, I really don't care. You can turn it off. I really don't care. I, I really just have gotten away from baseball this year I, to the point where we didn't even do our, our fantasy show over here because I was just like, guys, I'm not into baseball enough to sit on a podcast with you and really talk baseball because I'm not watching. I'm not, you know, I don't want to just uh, go go read and find out things to talk about because it's not my style. If I don't know what I'm talking about because I've seen it and I know what I'm talking about because it's actually, you know, something I witnessed, it's easier to talk about. But when you, know, you can't just go on a show like that and say, well, here's what's going on when you don't know what's going on except that you're reading someone else's opinion of what's going on. So, and I, I can't, I'm not reading someone else's opinion. I'll give you mine or I won't even give it to you. Yeah. 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 And trust me, he can give you his opinion. You know? I, I'm, I'm no, swear to that. Stop it. Definitely. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we're actually going to move over yeah. to our first interview because we have a lot going on today. And, um, you know, like I said, we yep. were thrilled as WWE fan. Uh, I am thrilled. And I hope I edited this right. Yeah. This is the first time I've actually edited it. Yeah, well, uh, we let Lisa take over this week. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we interviewed Edge, uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday last week. And we yep. were like, yeah, we're going to air it this week. And, uh, you know, thank you, thank you a ton, of course. I mean, Edge. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. So let's uh, let's bring you the Edge interview, and then we'll be right back with you. And uh, we're probably going to have Kevin coming on right after that. So enjoy Edge. You are here today to talk about your new role in interrogation, but, you know, it comes out in September, September 20th. Tell us about your character, Lucas Nolan. What kind of drew you to the role to play him? Um, well, what was interesting about this guy and what um, I liked about the script is that there was a lot of layers to him. It wasn't just, uh, you know, a guy who shoots a gun and fights a lot. There, there's more to it. Um, <laughs> there's fight scenes and there's gunshots. You know, there's all of those things, but he he interrogates people, and he has to um, he has to think on his toes a lot, which is a lot of fun to tackle as a performer because it, it's not just fight scenes and heavily involved fight scenes; it's also heavily involved dialogue, and that was really kind of the thing for me that uh, I, I looked at as a challenge because some of those interrogation scenes we did. Um, we had one take that was a 16-minute take, and you you wow. got to have your stuff down in order to pull that off. Um, and uh, that, to me, was was the biggest thing with the, with Lucas is that he had a lot of stuff going on. He's got a lot of baggage. He's got, um, <laughs> you know, he, he dips into this thing he calls memory house where he pulls back all of these different um facts that he retains because his brain just works in a completely different way um, and in a completely different way than, than mine does. So that was a really cool challenge to go, okay, how, how, does this, how do I come at this guy? Where does he come <laughs> at these things and how does he, uh, you know, kind of pull all of this um, out of his memory? So that was a lot of fun, you know, because he was completely yeah. off to me. Now, this Very isn't cool. your first no role. I mean, whatsoever. <laughs> You you you've been in this um you've been in film before you were on TV for four years on Sci-Fi uh, you know you're you're really I mean your your resume is getting very impressive how are you feeling that your you know the role that you had on TV what did you take from that role that kind of helped you with this role because TV and film are so different yeah you know it's uh, same tree different branches right because um, with with Haven, I really got to fully understand who Dwight was, and I had five years to to figure out exactly who he was and make him, you know, make him Dwight. Um, with interrogation, I had 11 days, so it's wow. very intensive in that you you had yeah we shot a movie in 11 days. It's crazy <laughs> when I look back on what? it and how much we got accomplished in that little time. Um, what? But it – I'm sorry? No, it's just shocking. I mean, you have 12 episodes of the Edge and Christie show, and it took you only 11 days. <laughs> I mean, you have more episodes of your show on WWE than it actually took you to record this entire movie, Edge. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, even with the Edge and Christian show, we did three episodes in three days, and that's – I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. um, 90 minutes of content <laughs> for TV in, in three days, that's – people don't do that. Um, and we, we quickly realized after those three episodes, we shouldn't do that. We need more time. You know, with Haven, we had two weeks an episode. Um, 
And, you know, now with Vikings, we have a month up an episode. It's, uh, it, you know, it, it takes time for TV and, and it can take time with movies, but this one, we were under a time crunch and we just knew, I, you know, we got together with the director, Stephen Reynolds, and he's a master at getting things done quickly, but with quality, which was really nice. Nothing felt rushed, even though we were going through like 12 pages of, of script a day, um, which is a lot. And, uh, but again, a, good, a great challenge because if you're doing six scenes a day, you know, my character's in all of them. I have to really have everything, you know, down. And uh, I knew going in that that was going to be a really, you know, a difficult challenge, but it was fun to be able to try and step up to that. Um, I had days like that on Haven too, but uh, not so intensive, like right in a row like that. So um, that's where I think the differences lie. You have to figure out your character quickly. Um, you got to be on your toes. TV, you have a little bit more time to be able to kind of flesh out who your guy is. Now, with the WWE, they have this whole new, this whole, not new, but this whole movie division going on. There are other wrestlers that have crossed over into the film and film side of it. What support do they give you in terms of, like, acting coaches or things like that? Or do you have you gone and done any of that on your own? Or what kind of training did you have? Um, well, the first WWE movie I did in 2009, I was very unprepared. Um, that was called Bending the Rules. <laughs> and, you know, it's... I have a funny story and that, like, I didn't know what sides were. I didn't know what scene we were doing. I flew straight from the Staples Center overnight on a jet, and I landed, got into wardrobe, walked straight onto set without having slept for 48 hours because we'd done SummerSlam yeah. too. And I walked up to Jennifer Esposito, who was in the scene with I was like, so which scene are we doing? And she went, huh? Well, what do you mean? I was like, yeah, we got a bunch of scenes here in the, in the police office. So which one is it we're doing? And she went, okay, I had no idea. <laughs> Nobody from WWE at that point clued me in because I don't think at that point it was kind of two separate entities. So I didn't know to ask. Nobody really knew to tell me. So walked in completely unaware of what I was, <laughs> what I was doing. Um, but everyone was great in, in, uh, you know, Jamie Kennedy and everyone and, you know, uh, just really, really helped me through that and held my hand. So by the time I got to um, the Haven, I'd had a little bit of experience. But then, yeah, I started taking acting classes while I was doing Haven. And thankfully I did because they started giving me more responsibility each season. Um, and that I always look at. Haven was kind of my college. It, it gave me um, an understanding of lighting it gave me an understanding of, you know, uh, not blocking, you know, just a lot of different different aspects of production that I didn't know because you know, with WWE, you're live. You're in that ring. It's theater in the round. And, you know, what you see is what you get. I didn't understand all the little nuances that come with, with film and television. So by the time I got to interrogation and anything I do now, I feel like Haven was my boot camp to, to help get me prepared. No doubt, man. You know, I, it's, it's obviously well documented that you, uh, you know, you attended WrestleMania six with uh, Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior, and it drew you in so much that you were like, I want to be a part of this, man. Where did it, where did the acting bug come from? Like, what 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 was it out there that made you say, you know what, I've done the, I've done the wrestling thing now, I need to move on in my career. Where where did the acting bug come from, man? I like, got you know, what, what, why, what 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 made you decide to go into acting? Um, I didn't decide actually. Uh... <laughs> I I retired. I, I really, I didn't. Uh, I retired, and um, the producers from Haven saw my retirement speech and called WWE because they wanted a tie-in from SmackDown into Haven because SmackDown led wow. into Haven on Sci-Fi hmm. at that point. So they saw the retirement speech, and I guess, you know, a couple of the people amongst the executive producers who had never watched wrestling were crying by the end of it. So they're like, we got to get this. <laughs> And uh, a week later, I was in Nova Scotia. <laughs> and wow! I, you know, I did I did one season, and I was like, okay, that that was cool. And then I I really just planned on retiring. And uh, within about two months, I was really bored, and understood that I needed to do something creative, <laughs> or I was I was uh, I was going to be the insane guy on top of a mountain with a huge beard. So 
Um, I, uh, they, they called me for a second season, and I went, yep, I'm in. Do you need me to come up now and, like, build some sets or something? Because I'm really bored. So I uh, went up two seasons, then turned into five. And um, throughout that, I really started in, to enjoy it and understand that I needed it. Um, so that's when I started taking classes and, and taking it seriously and, and realizing that this is something I, I've been lucky enough to, you know, I did exactly what I wanted to do for most of my adult life. And then I fell in accidentally into this other thing that I absolutely love. Yeah, man. You know, and you like to make people laugh, man. I mean, you're, you're, you're naturally funny, man. I mean, we, we've been sitting here tired and listening to you. And, and are you going to find a, co- a comedy role up the road here? Because you've obviously done the detective thing and the serious roles and the action movies. When are they going to let you be funny and let you be you, man? Because that, that's part of who you are. You're, you're hysterical, man. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where because of what, what I did, there's always the physical roles and, um, things like that. Always, you always get asked to do things like that because, well, I mean, it makes sense, but a huge part of what I did in WWE did involve humor. Um, so I'm sure at some point it may, may work out that way. Who knows? But in the meantime, you know, right. Christian and I did uh, did our show, and we had a ball doing it, and just you know got to be idiots. So that was uh, was it was nice okay. to get the funny out again. Um, I know we only have a couple more minutes with you, but I, I definitely want to ask you know on first of all, um, my whole family was yeah. crying when you retired. Yeah, I mean we have been WWE junkies for years, and we sat here, and and I can't yeah. even tell you how many times. My oldest daughter says, "I wishes she wishes you were back." So, um, but so needless to say, they're listening to this interview very closely. Yeah, but on that note, knowing <laughs> that you know, <laughs> knowing that you know, you retired because of everything going on with your neck and all of that. The action movies have obviously stunts. I mean, and risks involved. How did they protect you from those risks? There, you know, was there a risk, or did you have a stunt double? Uh, we had one, and we didn't use them. <laughs> um, really? Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm just that little bit of stubbornness in me that um, nice. I'm like, oh, I, got I got this, right? No. <laughs> I, I'm not landing on my head. I'm not taking a German suplex. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be good. And, uh, yeah, so, it, it, but it was interesting that <laughs> the second fight scene that I did for interrogation because I had three really, really big fight scenes. They were very involved and, um, you know, all of them different too, completely different types of fighting, which was really interesting. I had three days in order to learn them all. And uh, the second fight scene I had was with this really big kid. He's like 6'7", 260. He's like a boxer out in Vancouver. So we started, and we're fighting over this gun, and he's supposed to knee me in the ribs. Man, he need me so hard. And I just went, okay, all right. I've never been hit that hard in the ring. Like, <laughs> get through this. So we, uh. we ended up pulling it all together and everything. But I drove down the California coast after that, just take a little trip and kind of uh, depressurize after that kind of intensive 11 days. I was driving down the coast. I was like, I can barely breathe here. I better, like, check this out because I'm still going hiking and everything. And, I don't know if I fall and I have a cracked rib or something, who knows what happens. So I went in, my rib wasn't lung from taking a knee uh, in a fight oh, scene in a man. movie. <laughs> I was like, man, I thought this was supposed uh-huh. to be a lot easier. Um, right. so, <laughs> so I probably should have used the stunt double <laughs> and let him take in that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, my stupid stubbornness. That that's hilarious, but yeah. Now you you I, does Beth get concerned about you now because you came home and you're like, okay, I got hurt at the movie. How did that happen? I was like, I I don't know, honey. It just it just did. You know, uh, but I'm fine. We'll be good. Just help me out of bed for the next few days. <laughs> 
That's hilarious. That's hilarious. But, um, you know, one more question before we let you go, because um, you, as a wrestler, you, you trained in probably a totally different oh, way than cool. you would train now yeah. for obviously the movies and the other work that you're doing. But you mentioned hiking and things like that. Did your workout regimen change at all in this, um, and, and how? Um, it has, just because, you know, since I've retired, I've had two surgeries, you know, just from lingering stuff that I never got done during my career that needed to get done. I just, they were kind of low on the totem pole. So, so I had like a carplectomy, basically to take a row of bones out of your wrist. Well, now I can't do a push-up anymore. So how do you do that now? Well, now i got to use push-up bars. Now I have to work around the, the things that I've had done. Um, you know, the days of shoulder press and things like that are, are pretty much done just because of the neck. So I had to retool everything, but I also realized, too, I don't need to be 250 pounds anymore. Um, now I can, uh, it, because, you know, I was for a while, I stayed at that weight, but then you see it on screen, and I'm standing beside, you know, a woman who's 110 pounds, and it looks <laughs> kind of weird because... Yeah. You you look like a gorilla beside these people, yeah. and it's like, oh yeah. In wrestling, I was a thin guy. In the everyday world, they think I'm a monster, you know. So I realize now, like, hey, I can be 230 pounds now, and that's okay. Um, so I I run now, I hike now, um, you know, still lift, but it just not for you know to maintain a weight or anything like that. Yeah. Um, just so that's, that's been nice. Yeah, man. It's just for cardio at least, right? I mean, at least you got to be able to breathe, right? <laughs> um, you know, listen, man, yeah, before yeah. we let you, you go, know, before we let you go, man. I feel healthier now than I did then. So yeah. Uh, I just have one more question, man. How's the guy from Toronto becoming a Jersey Devils fan? And listen, man, December 11th or December 18th, I want to take you to the Devils-Rangers game because I'm a Ranger fan, man. How about you and I sit next to each other at a Ranger-Devils game, man? Let's go. <laughs> Yeah, I just lost all respect for you. Oh man! <laughs> no, you know yeah. what? Was? When I was a kid, you know, I'm a Leafs fan. I, I'm still a Leafs fan, and people okay. like are dumbfounded. Like, Sorry. how can you be a Devils fan and a Leafs fan? But I am. I know. I know. I know. I, I accept <laughs> the, the the apology yeah. and everything because it's uh, it's been a rough. Well, since '67, we had some good years in the '90s, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, I based everything on on jerseys. So uh, because of that, I was a Seahawks and Chargers fan because they had the coolest uniforms, and I loved New Jersey Devils jerseys. I loved their logo, and I was like, "Cool, nobody else has dark green and red. They're my team." And that was really all there was to it. And then they got Sean Burke, they had Chico Resch, and then they got Brodeur. So, and I really loved goalies because all my uncles played goal. So, for me, goalies were a big part of the game, and I always thought New Jersey had the best goalies. Yeah, nice. Yeah, Marty's nice. pretty good. Yeah. Well, um, Adam, a.k.a. Uh, tough to Edge, argue, bro, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being with us and for doing this interview with us, yeah. and best of luck on the movie and everything else you got coming up. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye. Man, that's so cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah. funny, you, know, you realize the beatdown that he takes on the set when he's yeah. not, you know, WWE guys complaining about the beatdown he took on a movie set. Like, yeah. wow, what? <laughs> That's hilarious. That yeah, just great. like I said, I think like 12 times that interview, that was hilarious. Yeah, it was. Because, uh, he's hysterical, man. Yeah, he is hysterical, and, um, you know, I enjoy, I really enjoy interviewing the WWE yeah. guys, and hopefully I think we're rescheduling with Lana, but we nice. hope to have her um, on in a future episode as well, so Ooh. stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I am hoping that we're going to just jump right over and talk to who I hope this is, and this this Mr. Kevin Kelly. Hopefully. Hello. Hey, Mr. Kelly. Hi. How are you doing, man? What's happening? Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course, man. We couldn't be thrilled enough to have you on here. This book is phenomenal, man. Lisa and I, obviously, we've had the book a while. What a great story, man. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing it with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Oh, it's cool, man. You know, I, I I just love the story about why you ultimately have a book out called Both Sides of the Line, Kevin. Because <laughs> not only did it start with nothing other than a phone booth in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, 
but it really became a book idea on Christmas night when you're talking to your friend Max and telling that Jack Dempsey story once again, man. How many times have you told the Jack Dempsey story, Kevin? You mean Clyde Dempsey story. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that, that's that's such a that's such a great great question. I I think uh, I probably told the story three hundred times, and uh, <laughs> it, it most most of the people would turn around and say something such as, "Oh, that would be a great book," or "That'd be a great movie." And right. you know, I'm not I'm not a professional writer, and uh, it was an off and on you know seventeen year journey. And um, the magic to the book was that you know towards the end of of that path. Um, uh, most of the information that we were searching came came forward, so it was I, I was uh, fortunate to be patient with uh, with the final product. Yeah, and of course, uh, you, that, that's probably why you did it. You just said, you know what, I'm so tired of telling this story. Let me just put it on put it in a book, so I don't have to tell the story anymore. Go read it, so I don't have to except, tell you. <laughs> except, like I just told DJ, except yeah. now you're going around doing interviews talking about, about the, the book. story. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I want to ask you something before uh, Jay gets to his next question, because what I find interesting as a writer, because I've, I've published a lot of my own books as well, and here you say you're not a writer, and the one thing that I always feel that's missing in the world today are these awesome stories that take time to tell. And in an industry where people are spewing out these books every six months, three months, I have eight-week deadlines sometimes, which is ridiculous. It's awesome to see a book that has taken time to develop. The story is well written. It keeps you riveted. I mean, what, you know, I'm very, very, very impressed. Well, thank thank you so much. I I think the the greatest advice I received was was from my publisher, um, Bruce Bortz. And one of the things he said to me uh, or suggested to me that stuck with me was, Stop pretending to be a writer. He go tell the story. He he said, you know, look at it from a chronological standpoint. Tell the story, write it down, and then when you have uh, some type of manuscript, we we can work with it. But for the love of God, write it down. (laughs) And uh, and that was just uh, great advice for me. Yeah, and yeah. that is great advice. But um, for a man who says that he's not a storyteller or he's not a writer, yeah, yeah, yeah nice try. You liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> That's great. Wow, I can't believe she just said that to you, man. <laughs> that is a compliment. That is a total compliment. I mean, my God, that's great stuff. Uh, you know, I, Kevin, I want to talk to you about Steve. Uh, Skip Bandini, obviously, he was the first guy that you tracked down, and that wasn't too tough to do. He's over at Cherry College with that 69 and 38 record over there. And you two were quite the run blockers together, man. That's cool. And you found Skip and you were like, Skip, I'm telling the story about Coach Tempsey, man. You got to help me with, get, get involved with this. That's a great name to have involved with you. Well, I, I can tell you also that uh, I hadn't seen Skip in years. And what I had discovered through our reconnecting was that he was telling the Dempsey story to his his players as he's the head coach at, at Curry College. And one yeah. of the messages that he delivered to his team on a yearly basis is that if the if the toughest guy I've ever met, you know, could submit to cocaine, you boys don't stand a chance. And he really really uh, takes the Dempsey story. And he he pushes it right right to his players, and he demands that his kids live a clean life. And I would say that Skip Bandini uh, represents the very best of Dempsey. That he took the the, the best qualities of Dempsey and and has has lived uh, those qualities as as much as uh, uh, you know many of us who are from that '74 team. You know, before we even go any further, because we're actually telling our listeners about the Dempsey story, the Dempsey story, the Dempsey story, but not everybody has this book in their hands. So how would you sum up very quickly, like, the the gist of, yeah, sum up the whole book and, like, give me your, give me your elevator speech as to who Dempsey is and what is this big story behind this? I mean, what are you, what, what is the book about that our readers should know? I, I think most people, I think most people think it's it's a high school football story. But I would tell you that the uh, the football end of it is really the wallpaper to the story. the The true story, or the what makes the story compelling, is that he took uh, a a perennial uh, loser, 
um, uh, for two years in a row uh, at, at the uh, who, who, in the Catholic Conference, and he gives us a Cinderella season. And but more importantly, what he does is he shapes uh, these young men uh, for the rest of their lives. While while he's preaching God, family, and country, and he's he's given us a roadmap to athletic performance and excellence. Um, what's happening simultaneously is that he's living on the uh, the other opposite end of the uh, of the line where he works for the mob. Uh, he'll commit murder six years after I graduate, and then he'll run up wow. to Canada. And uh, he'll reinvent himself by stealing the identification of a baby out of a cemetery. And uh, it will all come to an end when he's the featured criminal on America's Most Wanted. And him and I will reconnect while he's in prison uh, 22 years later. And it's, it's, it's really a human story uh, that's, that's uh, for me, uh, very, uh, very sad that, that a guy who shaped our lives uh, will end up dying in prison. Yeah, and amazing. You you actually put some of the documentation of of, of what he was going through in the courts. You know, the, the, you put the big most wanted. Uh, you know, <laughs> Coach Dempsey is uh, on the most wanted list. You actually have some of the images of that paperwork. How did you get your hands on some of that paperwork? Well, as I mentioned, uh, you know, a couple of giant pieces of the puzzle came in late, and just by sheer coincidence, I had a friend of a friend of a friend who had moved. And he had a neighbor, and that neighbor ended up being uh, a friend to a gentleman named Frank Matthews, who was a lieutenant colonel for the state police in Massachusetts, who worked on the cold case files. And uh, Frank and I would meet uh, out on the Mass Pike at, at, a, at a Burger King, and we, we pulled over, and we ended up, uh, it turned out that we both grew up in the same neighborhood. We went to rival uh, high schools, and his dad was a cop, my dad was a cop, and uh, it was Frank who uh, chased uh, or chased down Dempsey for ten years, and uh, he was he was it was uh, Frank who reached out to America's Most Wanted to see if they could track Dempsey down uh, through that show, which is indeed how he got caught. Well, you know, it's, it's, there's a quote in here about that you have from Coach Dempsey. When I look at this team, I don't see white football players on this team. I don't see black football players, Irish, Italian football players. All I see is football players. That's so refreshing because obviously the 60s and 70s were full of turmoil, and now today, oh, boy. Uh, uh, Kevin, I don't need to tell you all the racial tension that's going on, not only in our country but all over the place. And it was kind of refreshing to actually see that quote. I mean, it's a shame when it ended up happening to him, but it was so refreshing to see that quote. Man, I wish we had more of that today, Kevin. Yeah, he was he was absolutely tremendous. I've been coaching for a long, long time in the game of football, and, and I have never met anyone quite like him. I mentioned in the book that Dempsey, uh, you know, spoke through his eyes, and what I mean by that is that he, what came out of him uh, came out, out out of his DNA. He lived in an absolute world, and he had tremendous integrity uh, for the game of football. That reference point that you're speaking to had to do, of course, with with during the 70s, uh, Boston was going through the forced busing uh, issue, mm -hmm. and the whole city had imploded. And he knew that we, uh, Don Bosco was an all-boys Catholic school that, that was located in downtown Boston, right outside the combat zone, which was the red light district. And we came from all over the city to go to this all-boys school. And he knew that our our neighborhoods were being torn up with violence through the forced busing, and he was very nervous um, trying to figure out how he could grapple with and deal with the fact that what kids were living in, in their neighborhoods, how it would, how would it impact the team? And, um, and that's exactly what he did. He sat us down and, and this was very much, uh, you know, straight out of Dempsey where he would sit us down. It would be an absolute conversation. It would last about two or three minutes and that was it. But everyone got the message, um, team first and with football players. Yeah, he was terrific. Yeah. Love that, man. Love that. You know, one of, the, one of the cool stories I pulled out of the book, man, you're talking about the Hangtown building being erected, and you were talking about yeah. how the huge mirrors would just fall along the sidewalks and they had to replace all the windows, and it sat there for so long unattended. And that, that had to be discouraging because you're hoping this thing comes to be. And, and the Hancock building, obviously, was, you know, as everyone knows who that is, who's old enough to know it. Man, I, it was cool hearing you talking about how it, uh, the mirrors would fall and people would just be, shit, you know, walking by there and watching it fall apart as it was being built. <laughs> I love that story. 
Yeah, they, uh, the Hancock building in the early 70s was uh, going to be and is the, the tallest building in the, in the city of Boston. Um, it was all glass. It was all mirrors. It was the first of its kind uh, for that generation of technology. And uh, the, the mirrors did indeed pop out. And we, we were lucky enough that Don Bosco being a technical school that we had the project manager actually come into our school and speak to the kids yeah. that were, were, were in building tech. And what happened was they – they turned around and they used a lighter, a new generation of steel. Um, it it made the building have a greater sway uh, than than anticipated, and it formed a stronger vortex around the building. And the air actually got up between the panes of glass, and the panes of glass started to buckle. And that was a that was at a cost of a hundred million dollars. And that I think that Back building off. started started construction, I believe, in 1971. Yeah. You, you took my other question because I was going to mention that they, you, they they actually came to your technical school for some help in getting it all together. That's, that's actually pretty cool, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a treat uh, because there was a giant question mark throughout the entire city of Boston as to why, you know, what was going on. And they, they had to use plywood uh, for 60 stories, and it stayed that way for three years. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. You know, the one thing we haven't talked about is his ability to, Dempsey's ability to be the coach. And then, like you said, down the road, he had, you know, done this awful thing. You mentioned a part in the book where he has a, and you even mentioned it here too, where he talked about his eyes. And he talks through his eyes. But when he was talked to at one point, it was like seeing when he saw the guy's football jacket, it was like he changed yes. back to the different yes. Dempsey. And yet yes. here he is, this killer too. And he could be that, like you could look at him and see those eyes. I mean, is there like a, a personality? I don't want to say disorder, like a, you know, did anybody ever address why he could be both this incredibly, incredibly good guy and incredibly bad guy? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I um I never had the opportunity and I did I did a tremendous amount of research. I never had the opportunity to find uh the opportunity to look at some type of an evaluation uh on coach. Um this this ability to switch in and out simultaneously like at, at you know instantly uh is 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 not only uh, a remarkable trait, but uh, for the people who I've interviewed, whether it was players and whether it was coaches and whether it was people who grew up in his neighborhood, they all reflected on that ability that he could that his switch he had a, he had a switch, and if the switch was hit, it would be it would be instant, and no one and no one could talk him out of it or talk him down when when that switch was delivered. That story that you're talking about where where the prison guard actually goes into Dempsey, he's in solitary confinement. He incited a riot that morning. He bit a guy's ear off during that conflict. He's in solitary confinement and um uh, that gentleman ended up being a being a coach at Don Bosco who who argues with his superior to get into that cell and and believes that um, you know he can he can connect with Dempsey, and for me I think uh, and hopefully the the reader and you folks you know maybe appreciated this moment because I think it's a very telling part of of his complexity is when he's in there, uh, you know the guy who speaks with him says I, I felt like I was looking into the eyes of Satan, and then when he looks at the football jacket, he snaps right out of it, becomes a coach, and I think the telling moment of that whole experience is when. He is leaving the cell. The prison guard is leaving the cell to lock Dempsey in. And here is a guy who's going to prison for life. And he stops the prison guard and he says, remember, he says, the secret to great coaching is you've got to love your kids. And right. that, that gentleman told me that that comment haunted him for years, that, he, that it, it, he just couldn't get over the fact that Dempsey had the capacity to switch in and out, uh, especially under that uh, that situation, that, those circumstances for his life. Yeah, but I thought that was incredible yeah. too. And that kind of, like you said, it haunted me as well reading it because how you can go from doing what you just did in jail to be like, oh, yeah, that's me, that's the coach. And that he must, even if it, there's no medical reason behind that, from a psychological standpoint, those were the good days. Those were the days that he was, you know, revered and, and, 
you know, loved what he was doing and probably in his mind just separated it, you know, and, and exactly became yeah. these two people, yeah. you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say that I, I, I think, uh, you know, being the armchair psychiatrist, I, I think that Dempsey received love. Uh, he had no children. Uh, he wasn't married. And I think he received love. He got something. He was fed by his commitment to his boys. He physically drove kids to college to get them in so they would have a life that he didn't have. And I also think that he was equally loved or got fulfilled, uh, you know, working for the mob. I mean, he, he was dangerous and he was good at it. And I, and I think that somehow he he was um, he could he could separate the two. Wow amazing man and you know after high school of course when you're leaving there you, you, you get you're trying to get into college and i love the story you have you you're, you're on friday afternoon you're sitting with the dean of admission to bridgewater and you're telling him where you went to school and, oh really you played for down Bosco, you went undefeated huh yeah you know what maybe we can squeeze you in on monday that's amazing you went into the office on friday with the dean of admissions and by monday you were in training camp man that that's outrageous <laughs> Well, I, and again, I, I, you know, I, I have to give credit for Dempsey because I, I believe, yeah. I believe there was uh, there was one sentence in that whole exchange. You know, he was, uh, you know, I was I was a knucklehead. I I was trying to get into a couple of other schools. They fell through. Uh, this was a last moment thing. I had talked to the head coach at Bridgewater State, Coach Mazzafaro, and he had given me all indications that you know, oh, we'd love to have you, and and uh, you know, we'll see you Monday. And 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 you know, to his defense, he didn't know that I wasn't I wasn't enrolled. And uh, so I went down on that Friday afternoon and um, the the dean of admissions was looking at me as if I lost my mind. And, you know, it was a like quarter of four. He <laughs> says, you, you, he goes, he says, you're telling me that you want to come to school. You haven't even applied here. And you're you're asking me on a Friday afternoon to to admit you, and and he's frustrated with me, and I realize that oh boy, I I, I may I, I may have just struck out you know my last my last trump card here, and he said to me, uh, where'd you go to school? And I said Don Bosco, and he goes, you know, is, is that the team that beat Catholic Memorial that they had been undefeated for three years? And I said yes, and he said, are you any good? And Dempsey had <laughs> had trained us that. Uh, to respond to that comment and his his advice to us was if anyone ever asks if you're any good if you say yes you're arrogant if you say no you're putting yourself down he said if anyone asks if you're any good look them straight in the eye and say i try to be and that is exactly what i said to this dean of admissions and i said i try to be and his his whole complexity uh, changed, and I, I could tell that that comment somewhat won him over. And thank God, yeah. because uh, mon- Monday morning, I, my dad dropped me off, and I was allowed to play. Amazing, man! I, that, that wouldn't go over that easily today. Obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, luckily for you, man, that's a phenomenal story. <laughs> it is. I love it. Um, just to to kind of tie back Dempsey and um, you know all of this kind of blowing up for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioned this earlier. He ends up running off to Canada, where yeah. he adopts this identity from a baby that had died, Amazing. and it's actually his girlfriend who turns him in. Um, but didn't he walk in there like on his own and and? you know, try to convince them that he still wasn't Dempsey. <laughs> um, with the detective. So just, just for one minor correction, uh, Sarah Vaughn, who was Dempsey's, uh, you know, girlfriend, she didn't turn him in. Um, there was a, a woman who, from my understanding, from the, from the research that I had done, um, when the America's Most Wanted program came on, Dempsey was in a room with 12 people. And Dempsey uh, was watching this program, uh, you know, showcase him. And people in the room were stunned. His future uh, mother-in-law, Sarah Vaughn's mother, was at home alone, and she was watching the show. And it's my understanding that a few weeks after the show aired, that a woman that was in that room, that there was a drug bust uh, that involved her boyfriend. And what she did was she plea bargained her boyfriend for Dempsey. And then when the the detectives uh, tracked Dempsey down, um, they had asked him, you know, you know, are you Jack Dempsey? You know, are you from the United States? And he kept on saying no. And he said, do you have any identification? He provided a, a, a driver's license. And then they said, do you have anything else like a birth certificate? And what happened was uh, the Dempsey turned around and went to a briefcase and pulled the birth certificate out in about 
nine seconds. And wow. that was the first that was the first indication from the detective that something wasn't right. Because most of us, you know, most of us, if you said to me, you know, where is your birth certificate now? I, I, I'd, I'd say I'd get back to you tomorrow, maybe maybe even next week. I, I'm, I couldn't tell you where it is. But the fact that he went to it so quickly, the antenna of the detective said, hmm, this doesn't, this, this doesn't feel right to me. And um, so what they did was they took his fingerprints. And from there, um, when, when, when the when the jig was up, Demp- Dempsey didn't fight. Um, you know, the, he he just he admitted him, Jack Dempsey, and then they brought him back to Boston. Wow. Wow. And tell me um, when you're going to hire me to write this screenplay. That's right. Let's go, Kevin. <laughs> this is a movie, and have, do you have Hollywood knocking on your door telling you that they need to they need to make this movie, or where where do you stand with that? Well, I, I, I think uh, I think there's a few people on our end who are who are doing the knocking on the doors, and uh, and as you know firsthand, I mean that's that's a tough nut to crack. But if uh, if you have uh, any connections, we'll uh, I'll I'll pay your mortgage and some Ben and Jerry's. How's that? Oh boy, <laughs> you didn't know Lisa very well, yeah. don't you? Yeah, yeah, Kevin, you, you might have found you might have found yourself somewhere, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> You and I will talk. Yeah. You and I will definitely talk. But I, I you know, um, and and that's partially kidding aside because I'm partially serious as well. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. That this needs to be a movie because, and and that's not just because of what Dempsey went through, but it's because of how you painted the story. Yep, exactly. And oh, I don't say you. that to every book we have on here. But you know, no, thank you because um, really, it, it's it was a fantastic read, and um, I it. really hope that all of our readers, uh, readers, why do I keep saying but, this? all of our listeners, um, definitely yeah. check out. It's called Both Sides of the Line. My coach, the Boston oh, Mob Enforcer. My mentor is a murderer. <laughs> the true story of Clyde Dempsey <laughs> and the 1974 Don Bosco Bears. So but, much. Yeah, and before, you know, it's interesting because before I let you go, um, you know, I, I recently, actually just yesterday, interviewed the um, author James Patterson, who I'm sure you know. And um, he did this documentary where he talked about these kids uh, who live in these towns that don't have access to, you know, the, um, really pretty much anything. The economy stinks and, and the the towns are falling apart. Exactly. And it's called the murder of a small town. And mm. this kind of reminded me of that because you had these kids in the seventies and, you know, you didn't have enough really enough equipment, enough things like that. And it kind of had that same feeling of, you know, what happens to these people afterwards, yeah. you know, and, and mm. who's watching out for them. And this guy went down the wrong, you know, the wrong path. The good news is that a lot of your your friends didn't go down the wrong path, you know. And it, and I mean, did did you have that kind of emotional feeling about, hey, look what we went through and look where we ended up? Yeah, you, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. It, you know, it took me 14 years to find all of us, and one of the takeaways that was so 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 wonderful was. All of my teammates, who some of them, uh, if you read the book, came from hor- horrendous backgrounds, and every single one of us, um, you know, did well in life. And when I asked them what was their greatest accomplishment, uh, and these were all separate interviews, they all said, "My children." They um, and every single one of my teammates will attest to you that the pivotal moment in their life was winning that championship and having a relationship with Dempsey, that that relationship and that experience allowed them to believe that they could accomplish anything in their lives if they were willing to work hard for those goals. I think Dempsey, uh, who was giving us a roadmap on how to be successful in athletics, um, was really giving us a roadmap on how to be successful in life. And his life is, is that perfect example of like, this is, this is what it takes to be a winner. And his life also represents, this is what it takes. This is, this is what happens, you know, to self-destruct, you know, drugs, violence, uh, alcohol, it's a guaranteed recipe for failure. And his life gives, gives us both sides, right? Gives us both sides of that mirror. And um, uh, I'm very proud of my teammates. Yeah, nice. and obviously you put emotional stuff about your family and your background in here as well. And that's 
you know, it's tough to do. Obviously, you know, obviously, no one knows who you are to to, to some extent. You know, you put a book out there and you tell everybody that you lost your mom when you were really young, and your dad did a tremendous job keeping you on the right path, man. Obviously, you must probably give credit to the, the father who led you here and got you to the point where you are today. And that, that's amazing, man, to have him. You know, you get a big family, and uh, you know, your father did a great job keeping you straight. That's great stuff. Thank you, thank you. There's no doubt about it that my father was a rock. And during that particular moment in our lives, through that particular tragedy, um, oh I, I give all all the credit all the credit to my dad, who uh, you know deep down side was 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 in a lot of pain. But his boys came first, and he made a commitment to his to his sons. And um, thank you thank you for the kind words on my dad. Of course. Well, I want to absolutely, and I want, I actually want to, um, I, I want to end this on a funny note because right. to me, the first line of the entire book <laughs> just made me laugh. I know, right? And it says, Thank God the Boston police rejected my application. I'd make a lousy detective after three years. I only found seven of us. Hilarious. And like I said to everybody out there, the name of the book is Both Sides of the Line. Please check this book out. We're yeah. going to post about it on, on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, on our website. And I am going to write about this book for Get More Sports. So you will definitely get some additional publicity oh, yeah. from us. Oh yeah. And how can people reach you? Like, if they do, you have a Twitter or a Facebook social page social. or any kind of social media? Yeah, you know, I do have a Facebook page. Uh, my name is Kevin Kelly, uh, K-E-L-L-Y. Uh, people can also reach me at Deerfield Academy, which is a boarding school in the western part of Massachusetts, Deerfield mm-hmm. in Deerfield, Mass. And, um, and and they can reach me there as well. Um, you know, I have a just a regular K Kelly at deerfield.edu. I, I will say that uh, I've been blessed. I've, I've, I've received some uh, some phone calls from people close to my age who played uh, who played ball during that particular time and, and just uh, have really enjoyed the book as well. So it's 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 been uh, it's been a surprise. Uh, I, I never thought in a million years that there'd be a response to the book. Uh, I, I think I was more committed to making sure the story was told. I think the story is an important story, but I, I, I never thought cool. the response would be such as, as wonderful as it has been. So thank you so much. Well, of course, you got our attention, and we certainly yeah. enjoyed it, man. Both of us definitely enjoyed this book. Uh, it's great job, Kevin. I, I, we can't thank you enough for coming out here and telling us the story and getting it all out there for us. We'll do everything we can to help you get the book exposed. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and just hanging out with us and uh, you know telling the story, man. We love it. Well, it's been it's been such a pleasure. I can't thank you enough. It's uh, it's been tr- tremendous. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks, Kevin. Kevin. Thanks. Have a good day. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye now. Bye bye. That's awesome. You know what the That's best awesome. part of this whole thing was? Uh, I have it on record that he says that if he hires yeah. me, he's going to pay my mortgage. That's it. And uh, and Ben and Jerry's. And Ben yeah, Don't leave out the I ice cream. Listen, man. Well, whoever doesn't put it in their contract that a quart or a gallon of ice cream <laughs> is not in your contract, <laughs> you're stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you put yeah. ice cream in there? I mean, like, yeah, we'll give you two million dollars. And a and fucking up Ben and Jerry's, baby. Yeah, I like it. Works for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that was a great show. And before we go, I actually want to mention something. Um, if you guys go to the Hall Ball on Facebook, um, Ralph has actually been on our website for quite a long yeah. time. And Ralph well, has what you call a Hall Ball. And um, it, it's it's this long story, oh, the awesome part of it. Yeah, he's been on our show two or three yeah. times. I just actually invited him back. I actually told him that I think it's time we have to have you back on again because it's been, you know, we had man on a good year, and he's done a lot of progress. I mean, he's, I mean, he's given us every progress report that he can give us. Obviously, thehallball.sportspalooza.com. You can obviously tell we're affiliated. And, uh, you know, we built this website for him, and uh, we are so proud of Ralph and all the work that he's done. So we definitely want to give him a mention and try and get him back on here and, Give everybody an update on all the work that he's done because he's done a great job with, with with his website, which is you know a portion of our website. Yeah, it's, it's been tremendous. Yeah, and what he said on in his most recent update online was that he actually only has um, I think it's like thirty something mm-hmm. um, people left that he had to get pictures with, and he spent time earlier this summer. Um, taking care of some more of those, and of course he added Mike Piazza on the mm-hmm. on the list now. So he's done an incredible job, <laughs> yeah. and it's now back to September. He's really busy with school yeah, stuff and school stuff over school, the yeah. summer, but he's back to school. But he's also back to work. And please check it out yeah. and, and give him some love and some support. Follow his Facebook page, 
He also has uh, photos on Flickr and, of course, on our site, which is theHallBall.SportsPalooza.com. That is also one of the coolest stories that we've come across. And as obviously we connected with Ralph and continued to support him. If you guys have anything that you're doing out there that you want to talk to us about, stories like this, reach out to us. Whether you're trying to go to every game, whether you're trying to visit every stadium, whether you're trying to, you know, anything that you have going on, it's just whether it's different or whether someone's done it before. Like, really, we don't care. If it's a cool story, we're interested. We'd love to talk to you. You know, Absolutely. Obviously, you can tell. Uh, an interview with us? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> easy. Uh, you know, we, don't, we don't get up anyone's ass around here. We certainly want to have fun, enjoy your time, and get you know, get all the exposure we can have with you and have some fun. Yep. We have a lot of fun around here. If you can't tell that by now, uh, you want to listen to I'm showing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on that note, we want to yeah. thank everybody for listening. And the reason why we've been doing this now for four years is yeah. because we have a nice little following building mm-hmm. up for us. We want to thank Edge, Adam Copeland, for coming by on the show. Mm-hmm. And we want to thank Kevin Kelly. Please yeah. buy his book and please go watch Adam's movie. Um, and it's called Interrogation, and it will be out in September. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, make sure that you check that out as well. And you can find us, Palooza Radio, uh, at for Twitter. And you can find at EJ the Rainmaker. And I am at Gal Sportswriter. And we are Sports Palooza Radio. So thanks right. for tuning in. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. Right, big guest next week, so make sure you stay tuned for that. So let's get out of here, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Bye-bye.